Hey, would you turn with me, if you have a Bible, your phone, or book, to Matthew chapter 2. We're looking at the story of the Magi uh, this morning. Just in case you missed it, today is New Year's Day. Um, Looking ahead to an exciting new year, but looking back as well, that's kind of what we do in this season, right? Um, And and you know, in 2022, this has kind of been a, a year of trying to go back. Go, go back to normal, right? Go, go back from this crazy, isolated time of COVID. We, we've been trying to figure out for a year now, at least, of, of how do we go back? And you know, if we think about the holidays are, are now over, at least as of tonight, we got to go back. We got to go, go back to the real world. Uh, we have been anticipating, excited for, maybe for the family, you know, the kids to come in and grandkids, and, and we've been excitedly decorating and getting ready, but, but you know what's coming. We've got to go back. We've got to go back to the garage with the tree. We've got to go back to the roof and take down the lights and put away the ornaments. We've got to go back to the uh, work, go back to school. Um, we got to get that bill in the mail from December, the credit card statement. Um, we we got to go back to real life. And so I want us to think today a little bit uh, about after Christmas morning. <laughs> You've heard of this um, post-holiday blues, right? And so in, in the midst of going back, I wonder if the Lord might have a word for us about how we go back. In the midst of the excitement and the, the specialness of the holiday of God is with us, to now the kind of post-holiday blues of we got to go back to the real world, how do we go? And so I want to invite us uh, to allow God to speak to us from Matthew chapter 2, this story of the Magi. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, catch the season here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Man, they knew. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amazing how they knew the right answer, and yet... Boy, they just weren't paying attention. Well, then Herod, he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, come back, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. He asked them to come back. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down 
and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And I'd like to keep reading a little bit for you, even though it won't be on the screen, but listen in. When they'd gone back a different route, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take your family to Israel. King Herod was intimidated, and maybe you know the rest of the story. He kind of calculated when he'd heard the baby was uh, born and decided to uh, create this edict that all uh, newborn babies uh, up to two years old in the area of Judea be slaughtered. Um, But the Lord was at work. The Spirit was protecting and overcoming, and so obviously... um, they escaped safely. Hey, would you pray with me? Father, would you uh, speak to us through your word today as we get ready to leave the excitement, the warm fuzzies of the holidays, and go back, back into a world of darkness. Equip us with the light of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. heard a story of a dad and mom on the East Coast, and uh, dad uh, calls up his, uh, his son. He was the father of uh, two kids, and calls up his son, and his uh, son and daughter, they lived all the way on the West Coast. And in his New York uh, accent, he, he says, uh, hey, I got some bad news for you, just a couple days before Christmas. Your mom and I are getting a divorce can't take it anymore. I'm done with her. It's been 40 years. I haven't been able to change her. I can't take it anymore. I'm done. And um, the son says, oh, dad, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Dad, don't, don't do it. I, I, I'll get on the next plane. I'll, I'll be out. But please don't do this. And he said, I'm done talking about it. You call your sister and hung up the phone. So the son calls up his sister out there in California and says, you're not going to believe this, but dad's divorced and mom. So she gets on the phone and calls dad. And and he tells her the same story and she says, dad, I'll be on the the next flight out. Just please don't do this. Please don't do this. And, And so he just ends the conversation, hangs up the phone, turns to his wife, takes her hand, smiles, and says, guess what? Both kids are going to be home for Christmas, and we didn't have to pay a thing. You, you know, what's, what's terrible news for some is it's wonderful news for others. Jesus' arrival, was, it was terrible news for King Herod, the one on the throne, and yet wonderful news, joyous news for the shepherds, from the angels to the Magi, and and so on. There were two very different responses. I I mentioned the the timing of this. It it was after Christmas. It was after Christmas morning. And here it was during the time of King Herod. Who was it that was really on the throne? Who is it that's really in charge when we go back into the world? 
You know, this, this story, it's been so corrupt, corrupted in, in recent days. And in fact, many of us, we just kind of lump the Magi in with the shepherds. And, you know, they're in the manger, just kind of one, you know, big story. But Matthew specifically tells this story distinct from the birth narrative because he's trying to say something to us today, to the church. And so I want us to explore this. If we go back to the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1, he spends the first 17 verses laying out the fact that this one born in the manger, he's the son of David. His earthly bloodline, his human bloodline, he is the son of King David. And then verses 18 to 21, he talks about He's the son of God. He's royalty on earth. He's royalty in heaven. This is no ordinary child born in the manger. This is the king of kings. And so Matthew chapter 2, he's building on this, who is the identity of Jesus? And now what does he mean for us? What does this truth of his coming mean? mean for us today? There's some misconceptions here. I want us to spend some time thinking about the Magi. We're told and we sing about them that there were three of them. That wasn't necessarily the case. And they weren't kings. These were wise and powerful men, but but not kings. There weren't three, they weren't Kings, and they weren't from the Orient, at least not as we describe it, from maybe China or Japan. Or... That, there goes the song, We Three Kings, so sorry to be a bummer. But There are so many legends since the birth of Jesus that, that the church has kind of created stories around who are these wise men. Some of them uh, we decided, oh, about maybe 11 centuries past the birth to, to give names to them for some reason. Caspar, Balthazar, and Malchior, where those came, names came from. In the 12th century, somebody uh, acknowledged, I've found the skeletal remains of the three wise men. Um, we have all kinds of legends But, you know, if we go to the Bible, if we go to the Old Testament, if we go to other uh, outside historical writings, there are some things that we can learn about the Magi. And and I believe it's critical that we understand this. First of all, why did they make this long journey to Bethlehem? Well, it's clear. We're told at least three times here in this text. They came to worship. They came to bow down. They came to humble themselves and recognize the king of all kings has come. But but who are they? That's a little unclear. And so if we could just take some time here. That that word magi, it comes from the word magos. And and there's no English equivalent. And so what we're talking about here is, is we're talking about kind of this ancient priestly tribe. This ancient priestly tribe, and this tribe, some trace them all the way back to Abraham. But this kind of nomadic tribe that was just known for their wisdom and their spirituality, they they really grew to prominence. And if we look, we can see that especially during the time of uh, Daniel, for example, they had risen to incredible prominence. Kings would put them in their courtrooms to to help give discernment. 
to understand the will of God or the gods. These magi, their focus was on what is the will of God? What is best? Discernment. And so they used astrology and later, or excuse me, astronomy and later kind of astrology kind of came into this. They were known as magicians. And sometimes when we read Old Testament stories, um, we think of these guys as just being deceivers, deceivers of kings, deceivers. But probably many of them, many of them just like pastors. There's a few really bad apples. But there's probably a lot of well-meaning magi. And their job was to sit among the kings and, and to equip them and to resource them. In fact, they were king makers. They were king makers. You could not be a king in the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, apart from the magi determining and instating this one is to be crowned king. And so these magi, they kind of served in this priestly role. But there were many similarities to the religion or the religious organization of the Jews. Think about this. It was a, a bloodline of priests. This wasn't always the case, but, but just like in Old Testament Israel's sacrificial system, there was a bloodline of, of priests. And, and so the magi, would, they would have kids and their sons would grow up to be magi as well. And their, their um, sacrificial system, their, their system of worship, it, it focused on fire, just like in the Jewish religion, in our Old Testament understanding of fire. And, and so there would be this central fire which they believed came down from heaven and lit this thing. And all of the altars in the area, they would take that fire and light these altars. And, and there was an animal sacrifice, just like in the Old Testament Israeli uh, system. There were animal sacrifices that were made. And, and so these priests would help to kind of atone and, and appease the, the gods, so to speak. There were similarities in, in worship. And if you think about it, how would the word about Jesus reach all the way to, maybe not China, but far east of Israel would have been the Babylonian Empire at one point, which then became, they were overtaken by the Persian, the Persian Empire, the Medes. And so if we go back to the Old Testament, if we think about Daniel, remember Daniel? Daniel was one of many who were hauled off in captivity. The Israelites had been disobedient for so long, and God finally said enough and allowed the Babylonians, their neighbors, their enemy to come in. And many of them, many of the Israelites were just killed, slaughtered, destroyed. But the Babylonians selected the best of the best of the best and said, come back with us in chains to Babylon. Um, physically, you know, you're superior and you have some wisdom and, you know, insight in your culture, your spirituality. So bring it back to ours and we'll kind of blend the two. And 70 years later, while many of the Israelites were set free and came back to Jerusalem, there were many more who had intermarried, who had settled down, who'd kind of become embedded in that far eastern culture. And so even their faith and their 
conversations and their activities that were centered around Yahweh, God, would have begun to filter out. One of these we read about is Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He was so overwhelmed because he had this dream about the future and couldn't tell what it... Well, we're introduced all the way back in Jeremiah, but we're introduced to the the Magi. And so the king calls the Magi together and says, tell me the interpretation of the dream. And before they can even get the word out, he says, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me what the dream was and then the interpretation. And the Magi are going, even the the most well-intentioned ones are going, nobody can do that. And then there's this captive Daniel, and they remember that maybe Daniel can do this. And Daniel interprets the dream, and and we're told that Daniel, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, I'm not going to read it for you, it'll be up on the screen, but in Matthew, um, or excuse me, This is uh, all the way back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. But we're told that Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed by the wisdom, the discernment of Daniel that he makes him the chief of the Magi. Okay, so this is the story of Daniel. This is the Old Testament. This is long before Jesus' day. But can you imagine um, uh, Daniel... chief of the Magi, just the impression of his faith, of his religion, of his examination of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies. The Magi over time, boy, they would have been well-versed in the Old Testament and in the prophecies. And so they come to find out if the stories that were being told were true. There were stories back in that day. There were legends that were told. Some legends, are, many are false, but some, hey, there's a point to, of, of truth. But there was a legend in that day that the people of Israel, the Jews, that a great king, this was a legend that was far and wide told back in that day, that, that the next kind of Caesar, the next like almighty king was going to arise from the Jews. And he would be a king of kings. And so you better bet that these magi who were scouring the Old Testament as well as, you know, kind of their own religious background and studies, that they were paying attention and heard the rumor and ultimately decided to come. And so what you see here then is these magi making their way to Jerusalem. How did they get there? The star. Boy, there are all kinds of stories out there as to what this star was. And I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I don't know. There is talk of, well, maybe it was like a star that God just kind of really, you know, kind of breathed and these embers of the star. I mean, it was just, it was so much brighter than the others. And so maybe it was a literal star that led them. Maybe it was kind of the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Maybe it was a a low-flying comet uh, comet or meteor. Some have said, well, it was just kind of a divine light from within the Magi. It wasn't actually anything that they literally saw. Let me tell you what I think. That light, that word 
for light. It describes the Shekinah glory of God. The, the same root word that is used there is used in the Old Testament uh, prophecies to describe one that is coming to be light in our dark world, talking about the Messiah that would come many, many centuries later. The Shekinah glory of God is, is used, that word is used even in um, Matthew tw- chapter 24 to talk about the one light coming again into the darkness, the return of Christ, his second coming. But you may remember the story in the Old Testament of God leading his people through the wilderness. Um, The Shekinah presence, the light, the blazing forth of God's presence. I, I just think it makes sense that in some way, the glorious presence of God made himself known to these magi in such a way that they were awakened and led. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I I think that may be secondary to the points of the story. So here they come. They're led to Jerusalem. And, And I want you to think about this. You know, we're told that there were three. Why are we told there were three? The gifts. Because there were three gifts, so there must have been three wise men. I will tell you, having heard what you just heard, I promise you, there was an entire entourage. You think about when the president, you know, travels overseas, all of the travel arrangements, all of the people that are involved in that. I mean, they showed up. The East met the West in this huge clash. And when the wise men came, whether there were 10 or 20 or 100, I don't know, but they would have had a ton of people with them. They would have had soldiers. They would have had cooks and servants and uh, all kinds of craftsmen and, and you name it. Somebody's got to carry the luggage. Somebody's got to protect them from the sun. Somebody's got to feed them. I mean, it would have been an entourage of folks. And they would not have ridden on, you know, these kind of just Little thing. I mean, this would have been beautiful, powerful steeds. And so as they come riding in to Jerusalem, dressed very differently, very ornately, you bet people would have noticed. People would have noticed. Look at what Matthew, look at what verse 3 of chapter 2 says. It just says, when, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. I think that's like kind of a, Incredible understatement, right? Why was all of Jerusalem disturbed? Have you ever heard the phrase, when mama ain't happy? Nobody's happy. And when Herod wasn't happy? Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod was fickle. Herod was sensitive. Herod was quick to respond, to react. Herod had killed several of his family members, including one of his wives and his son. Herod is needing to cling to the little bit of power that he really has. You see, his father had, uh, was political and had kind of you know, maneuvered him his way and done some things for the mighty Roman Empire. And so his father was given this little plot of land between two ginormous empires, the Roman Empire to the west 
and, and within, and then the um, Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire to the east. And so here, right in the midst of it all, was this little plot of land. His father was given to it, given it, and so when the bloodline came down, when he was uh, raised up, he became what they called the king of the Jews. But he wasn't even a wasn't even a Jew. He was an Edomite. But he loved the title. He loved the power and authority that he was given, and he had to hang on to that power. And so here they were. Here he was. So disturbed and think about what he does he tries to deceive he tries to manipulate he tries to abuse using his power he lies to the magi they came and asked where's the king of the jews and asked it to the king of the jews in other words you may sit on a throne but to use the phrase from elf it is a throne of lies Where is the real king of the Jews? And so he is intimidated and he lies to them and says, go and worship. Go and experience all the warm fuzzies of the manger. Get excited as you travel. Set out the decorations. Celebrate that the king of kings has come. But then I want you to come back to the real king. I want you to come back to the real world and and give the report so that I may go and worship as well. And so what do they do? They they go and they worship. They go and they offer their costly gifts. And, And then we're told in verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. This story that Matthew tells, he's wanting to say, first of all, to the Jews. Matthew writes this to the Jews. Mark, others were writing to the Gentile world. Paul was writing to a Gentile world as the gospel news was expanding. Matthew was writing to the Jews. And he was writing to say, this king is obviously the king of the Jews. He's the son of David. He's the son of God. He is the earthly and heavenly king. He is royalty. But he's not just for the Jews. And and, and things may be in turmoil here, but just so you know, the good news of the gospel of the manger and ultimately of the cross, it is advanced and moving forth and already before this newborn baby has spoken a single understandable word before any sermons before any healings long before any of that just his arrival on the scene the good news has gone out and it is impacting cultures it is transforming societies not just here but way out there Not just on the hillsides nearby with the shepherds who came empty-handed but full-hearted, but all the way to the far remote corners of the earth, even the Persian Empire. People are coming far and wide to bow down. 
That's Matthew's message. Take heart. And so when we get ready to go back into the real world and to report what we've seen and, and what we've heard, Matthew said that the Magi, that they received a dream. They had a dream, obviously, from the Holy Spirit, from God, warning them, don't go back. Don't go back by the same route. You need to go back. You need to go back home, but, but don't go back in the same manner in which you came. Friends, Jesus said, go. Go, go make disciples. Go back into your world, your everyday world. The disciples were going, Jesus, if we could just hang on to these moments where you're here and you're healing and you're teaching and crowds are responding, crowds are gathering, hearing about you because you're here. And Jesus says, oh, it's better for me to go, to go back to my father. Because if I go back to my father, One will be sent to you, the Holy Spirit will empower you to go back into your workplace, to go back into your schools, to go back into the ordinary, mundane affairs of daily life. Changed. Transformed by the Shekinah glory of God that has taken residence within you. This is the news of Matthew Jesus told the disciples, you know, hey, behold, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. We, we heard this, uh, Sarah read this from the Old Testament. The old is gone, the new has come. Do you believe that the story of Christmas has been packed up and put away neatly? That as we go back into the Mondays and mundane Tuesdays of life, that we got to wait another 364 days to celebrate, to recognize that he really does sit on the throne. Yeah, my boss. Man, I mean, he's Herod. He is manipulative. He is deceitful. My next door neighbor is a pain in the rear end. And when she ain't happy... The whole neighborhood ain't happy. Who's really on the throne? I was just talking with a friend of mine. We had lunch the other day. And, and honestly, I think in some ways we were kind of discouraged and bemoaning the condition of the church today. Especially the condition of the church in America. And, and, and there are so many conversations. You know the conversations about kids and grandkids, this next generation, people believing all kinds of lies. And it's because of the throne of Herod. Certainly there's still power and authority that they have to persecute, to kill, to destroy. But as we face after Christmas morning today, when maybe the warm fuzzies are gone, and for those of us like me who's kind of more of a feeler, (laughs) 
I, I got to feel the reality of my boys whom I love going back to their everyday, hopping on planes and traveling and back to empty nest. But beyond the feelings, who is it that really sits on the throne? God is doing a new thing. And in 2023, could we begin to believe in our hearts and think with our minds instead of just our emotions that the good news of Jesus Christ is still relevant for our world? As we go back to our neighbors, could we go back not with the same sense of uh, deflated emotions and sadness and discouragement, but we, could we go back in it with a different route that would allow hope to continue instill in us this mindset that, God, you're not done. You're not done with this next generation. You're not done with our grandkids. You're not done with my neighbor. And so use me, empower me, encourage me, God. Give me hope. And give me the resources that I need. You've given me gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you've placed them in my hands. Now, God, would you help me to place them at your feet? To use my gifts, to use my, everything that you've in, in, invested in me for your glory. Church, let's not go back in the same way that we tend to kind of flop. And go, I, I don't know what's going on in your life personally. I know there are areas of my life that I just tend to get excited about. I was watching Caleb play the drums. My wife could tell me, you know, tell you how many years I've been going, I'm going to play the drums. And for two weeks, man, am I playing those drums. But then the warm fuzzies wear off. And, and there are other areas of my life as well, and maybe that's true for you, where you just want to beat the drum for Jesus. And you want to faithfully announce to the world, but then life happens. And after Christmas, the morning sets in, and you get discouraged, and you get deflated, and you go back to the same old you. Behold, God is doing a new thing. His, his word is going out, and he will not be thwarted. And so let's allow that to begin in us in 2023.